Good evening, and thank you for joining us as we spend a little time together opening God's Word. But before we get started, I'd like to open us up in a word of prayer. Most gracious God, I just thank you for the breeze that's blowing as a reminder of your presence with us always. Dear God, as we open up your Word, I just pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would give us insight into your Word. I pray that you would draw us closer to you. And during it, I just pray that your name will be glorified. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for walking with us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm not sure about you, but I would like to think that I have an impact or I make a difference in people's lives. Another way of saying that is, I hope that I am a blessing to others. And I'm not sure if you've ever even thought about that question before. But I would imagine that each of us in our own spheres of influence do in fact have an impact on others. The reality though, I am positive that I have missed opportunities to be a blessing because quite honestly, I didn't want to take them. I know that I have missed opportunities to to share the gospel with people because I didn't want to go talk to the people that God had placed in front of me. Uh, or I didn't want to, you know, go across the room and, and talk to that person that, that God had really placed on my heart. And the reality is, and the truth is, that that is actually sin. Because sin is when we disobey what God has commanded of us. And sin is when we are rebellious against God and not doing what He has asked us to do is, in fact, being rebellious. So for our time together this evening, I want to say to you, don't miss the blessings. And I want to encourage you to be aware of your surroundings at all times. Now, most of the times when we hear, be aware of your surroundings, we think of that really more of a safety standpoint because we um, you know, we encourage our kids to, to always be alert, always look around you to, to, you know, know what is taking place around you. But I think that's also a reality in our spiritual walk as well, that we do need to be aware of our surroundings. We do need to be aware of those that are around us. Um, I, I am not a believer in coincidences, and I, I think God places people in front of us for very specific purposes, and the first and foremost is to tell them about himself, to tell them about God. Uh, whether they're a believer or not, sharing Christ with them. Uh, if they are a believer, maybe it'll encourage them. If they're a believer and have strayed away from God, maybe it'll bring them back to their relationship with God and the fellowship that He desires. But if they're a non-believer, um, maybe it will help them in becoming a believer. So this evening, we're going to be looking at a very familiar character and a very familiar passage of Scripture and a very familiar narrative. We're going to be in the book of Jonah. Now, most of us identify Jonah, and, and the most prominent scene that comes to our mind is you know Jonah and the great fish, and that kind of really takes the, uh, takes the priority of our minds when we think of the book of Jonah. Uh, if it's not the great fish, it's certainly the, the people of Nineveh. But there's much more to Jonah than just the fish. 
Um, I want us to look at chapter 1 of Jonah this evening, and I'm actually going to read the entire first chapter because I want us to, to fully embrace the context of, of what I want to draw our attention to this evening. So if you could find your way to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. Jonah is kind of in the second half of the Old Testament. Um, if you go to Psalms, go to the right just a little bit. Uh, feel free to use your uh, table of contents if necessary um, when we come to the book of Jonah. I'm reading from uh, the New American Standard, the NASB translation, uh, Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord, hurled, the Lord hurled a great wind and the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down, and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And when and each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land. But they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for thou, O Lord, hast done as thou hast pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days. Now, as we read that, that's a lot of verses, and I understand that. That's not the normal amount of verses that, uh, that I go through and when I read, but I wanted to catch all of this, capture all of this in context. Verses 1 through 3 in this particular passage really kind of begin to, to introduce us to Jonah. Jonah is a prophet of God, and a prophet was, was one who delivered a message from God to a specific group of people. 
Now, God had called Jonah and he commanded him to go to the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, which was Nineveh. And he was to tell them to repent and turn to God because it told us at the beginning of that that the people of Nineveh were wicked. So God had commanded Jonah to go and to share that message with them. But there was this, there was this hatred and there was this animosity toward the, the people of Nineveh. Uh, after all, they, were, they had done bad things to the, the children of Israel. Um, so, so there was certainly this, this tension and this hatred that existed for the people of Nineveh. And Jonah had made the decision. He said, God, I know that that is where you're wanting me to go, but I am not going to go there. Now, he so much didn't want to go there that instead of going that direction to Nineveh, he went 180 degrees the opposite direction toward Tarshish. He had gone down to Joppa, boarded a boat that was heading that direction. And verse 3 tells us that the purpose for him going to Tarshish was to flee the presence of God and to avoid doing what God had called him to do. And that was to be a prophet of God and to carry a message from God. So as the boat with Jonah on board begins to set sail to the seas and route to Tarshish, verse 4 tells us that God Himself hurled a wind and storm at Jonah and the ship. Now, the storm was so strong that it tells us that the ship was beginning to break up. It was beginning to, to be torn into pieces. And the word and the imagery here of this word hurled is that of uh, a javelin thrower or someone that's throwing a javelin. It's a very poignant target uh, that is being thrown. And we see that God is actually casting this storm directly at Jonah. Now, subsequently, because Jonah is on this ship and there's other people on this ship, they are also caught up in this storm. So, so Jonah's disobedience is actually impacting other people, not just Jonah. And I think that's a lesson in and of itself for us that our deliberate disobedience of God, our sin, our rebellion against God not only impacts us, but it also impacts other people around us. So, as the storm begins to come, the, the sailors begin to do what sailors do. Now, now these are seasoned sailors. Um, these, these are not your casual recreation boaters that are you know, kind of taking a, a boat out for its maiden voyage. Uh, these are seasoned, seasoned veterans. Uh, they've done this before. Um, so, whenever this storm begins to come, they do what they have been trained to do. Um, as the storm comes, they, they try to row out of it. And when, when the storm begins to rage even more, uh, they begin to try to lighten the load so that the ship doesn't sink. Now, as, as the storm rages, as they lighten the load, it's not having any impact at all. Um, so then they begin to pray out to their gods. Now, when we hear that they begin to pray out to their gods, we, we hear that that they are playing to praying to a plurality of gods, multiple gods. Uh, so these are pagan sailors. These these are not uh, believers in Yahweh, believers in Jehovah. Um, these are pagan sailors. 
So because of the severity of what's happening, this is an all hands on deck type of situation. Um, everybody is trying to do their part to, to not only save the ship, but to save their lives. But the captain notices that not everybody is carrying their weight. There's a passenger that is down in the hull of the ship, sound asleep. So the captain walks down to where the, where the, the hull of the ship is, where Jonah is actually asleep. And he wakes him up and said, don't you, don't you know what's going on? He said, call out to your God. Come up here to the top of the deck. We're all calling out to our gods and doesn't, doesn't seem to help. It's not making a difference. You call out to your God. Now, the sailors, because nothing else has worked, they begin to cast lots to try to figure out whose fault is it that this storm has come. And through God's sovereignty and His divinity, He allowed the lots to land on Jonah. So the sailors have begun to now focus on Jonah, and they begin to question him. Who are you? Where did you come from? What do you do? What's your occupation? Now, this is, this is sort of a kind of a crisis of belief moment for Jonah. He's the center of attention, if you will. He is now confronted by these men who worship pagan gods, and they are asking him who he is. Verse 5 told us that these are seasoned and experienced sailors who were already in a sense of, of fear and fret uh, because of the storms. The verse has said that the sailors, the sailors became afraid um, and every man cried out to their God. So you, these guys are on edge. Um, nothing that they have done, nothing that they have been trained for is making any impact on what is going on here. So as they begin to kind of zero in on Jonah and they begin to question him, I almost wonder what, what is Jonah's expression? What, what, is, what is Jonah feeling? Is he getting nervous? Uh, is he getting antsy? Is he starting to kind of fidget? Is he starting to squirm? I wonder if Jonah's heart begins to pound and is, is racing. Jonah begins to share his nationality with him. He said, I, I am a Hebrew. And then he says who his God is. Jonah begins to speak about God. Now, as he begins to do that, we, we also must keep in mind that you know, this conversation is not happening kind of in a quiet room. Uh, I'm out here this evening and there's, there's actually a, a pretty good wind blowing out here. But as these sailors are asking Jonah these questions, the storm is still raging. Water is pelting them in the face. The wind is blowing their hair all over the place. Their, their clothes are drenched. So, so this is a pretty intense scene. If this was a movie, the, the, heavy, the, the music would be heavy. The, the, it would be growing. There would be a lot of noise that's taking place. And you can almost hear the sailors you know, kind of yelling as they try to carry on this conversation with Jonah. Jonah is in the spotlight. So as, as all of this is happening, everything literally is in the face of Jonah. Not only the storm, not only the rain, not only the sailors, but also kind of where he is at spiritually. Now Jonah answers the questions honestly. 
Verse 9 tells us, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven. Now, before we actually finish that verse, this fear that Jonah's talking about is not the fear that they have on kind of on this storm here. He's talking about the, the, the awe of God. Um, he's basically telling them that I, I worship Yahweh. Uh, if you'll notice in your, in your Bible, in that verse, the, the word Lord there is in, is in all lowercase caps. And that's, that's an indication that he is referring to uh, Jehovah God, the, the covenant name of God that, that he is referencing here when he's talking to these pagan sailors. So Jonah identified God as Lord. Now, this verse concludes, though, that Jonah is saying, you know, I am a Hebrew. I worship God. But notice <clears throat> notice the, the end of verse 9. It says, I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now, if you're out in this sea, you'd love to be on the dry ground right now. But what Jonah has just told them is, the God that I worship is in charge of all of this. He is in charge of the sea, and He is in charge of the dry ground. Now, with this news, verse 10 tells us that the sailors became even more afraid. They were exceedingly afraid or extremely frightened. Why? Well, let's read verse 10. Then the men became extremely frightened, for they said to him, How could you do this? How could you do what? Let's keep reading. For the men knew that he, that's Jonah, was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Jonah had told them. Now earlier, that didn't make any difference to them. They didn't really care, quite honestly. Some guy paid them to get on the boat. They took the money. Off they went. But now... That is actually a big deal because the God that Jonah worships is the one who created the sea. So if he created the sea, he must have created the storm. It said he's the Lord of heaven. That is above. So what Jonah has just communicated to them is God is in charge of everything, all of this. And that same God that's in charge of that, I'm actually running away from him. Jonah unabashedly had shared with them that he was fleeing God. Now, we don't know how much they know or how little they know about Jehovah God prior to this. It's probably that they had heard of the Israelites. Uh, they possibly have heard about uh, their God. Maybe they've even heard about uh, all the, going all the way back to, to the days of Egypt and, and how God worked uh, at that particular point in time to rescue and deliver His people. We're not really told. But again, Jonah communicates to them who his God is. They had heard some pretty amazing news. Their fear was because Jonah's God has caused this major storm because of Jonah's disobedience. And Jonah's God is powerful. And because Jonah has a relationship with his God, the sailors now ask Jonah, what do we do? How can we calm this storm? Now, notice that the storm was getting worse. As time went on, Jonah and those on the ship were going farther away from the direction that God had, Jon had told Jonah to go. So the storm was intensifying. The storm was getting worse. 
The end of verse 11 tells us it was getting increasingly stormy and more violent. But I want to pause here for just a moment. You see, the sailors in the book of Jonah often are relegated to kind of a, a back burner type of scene, if you will. All the other events of the book of Jonah kind of take a, a more front and center approach and, and really kind of capture most of the attention. But the sailors are really the first opportunity that we are presented with and that Jonah has had to share the message of Christ. and the, I mean, the message of God and the message of repentance um, that we are introduced to. Their question to Jonah was, what should we do to you in order to calm the sea for us? In other words, we now know that the storm is your fault. You've told us that you're running from your God and that your God has caused this storm and that your God is in charge of all of this. Since you appear to be the common variable here, Jonah, in all of this, what should we do to you to stop this? Jonah could have easily said, you don't have to do anything. I just need to go where God is leading me. And then he would have a great segue into telling about God and God's message of repentance. Jonah could have said, well, if you could turn this boat around, take me back to the port, you'll be fine. Instead, Jonah responds to them and says, throw me overboard and the sea will be calm. Now, there's two things I want to draw your attention to just in this verse here. Why didn't Jonah just jump overboard himself? Why did he want the sailors to throw him overboard? But the second thing I want to draw your attention to is notice that Jonah did not say that the storm would end. He said the sea would be calm for them. Jonah had no intentions of going to Nineveh and turning around. He was in full-out rebellion, and he admitted it. Instead, Jonah basically, in essence, is saying, I'd rather die than to go where God has commanded me to go. Just please throw me overboard. Now, I don't really know the reason why Jonah didn't jump. And Scripture really doesn't provide any clues or really any information as to why Jonah didn't jump and why he commanded the sailors or told the sailors to do that. One possibility certainly is that he felt if the sailors were to throw him overboard, it would be like a punishment, uh, that it would be his, his punishment from them for causing all of this storm to come on them. We're not really told any more about the why of that question. Verses 13 and 14, though, clearly show us that they did not want to do that. It, it tells us that they rode harder um, and, and they tried everything they could to not throw him overboard. But when we look at all of this, we see when we get to verse in verse 12, it says this, And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that it is on my account that the great storm has come. Now, the end of verse 14 is, is a little bit interesting because 
it basically says the sailors had prayed to God and say, Lord, please forgive us for doing this. Don't don't put innocent blood on our hands because of throwing him overboard, because it appears to be this is you know, what you want. It says in verse 14, Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For thou, O Lord, hast done as thou hast pleased. It's almost like you can hear them saying, Lord, this, this appears to be what you want us to do. We're going to throw him overboard. But the second thing about what Jonah had said, that if you throw me overboard... The sea would be calm. Now, we could imply by that that a calm sea would imply that the storm has ended or that the storm would end. But that's not what Jonah said. Let's reread verse 12. And he, that's Jonah, said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come. Jonah knew that he was not going to go where God had wanted him to go. Since God caused the storm because of his disobedience, then he knew that the storm was going to continue for him until he did, in fact, repent. Yeah, the sea may have calmed, but the storm was far from over. Now, has Jonah presented God in such a light that these pagan sailors would want to know more about him? <laughs> it certainly would not appear so. But one thing that we do have to keep in mind, though, Jonah is making this about Jonah. But this is really not about Jonah. This is ultimately about God and His glory, as it always is. You see, I've spent our entire time so far together kind of painting this picture and building up to this particular scene. God had His man to carry His message to a lost people. That is in Nineveh. And that man was Jonah. Jonah had a captive audience right here in these sailors. But a rebellious and unrepentant heart. And he was running away from God. While Jonah was rebelling, God was continuing to provide him opportunities to share in His glory. You see, the one question that Jonah did do, or the one thing that Jonah did do, was he did to tell the sailors who he worshipped. God can use unbelievers to bring about the repentance of His people who are living in sin. We see that in Scripture. We see that a lot with the children of Israel. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. So they, that's the sailors, they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Jonah has now been thrown overboard. What Jonah said would happen did, in fact, happen. The sea calmed. Now, how is it that when the sea calmed, these men began to fear the Lord? Jehovah, as it says in, in verses 16, 15 and 16, it's still referring to Jehovah God. How is it that this transformation began to take place? We've seen these men be afraid twice so far, verses 5 and verse 10. 
But this time their fear is, is in awe of God. Notice it says that they feared the Lord greatly. And they followed up their declaration of identifying God. They followed that up with, with sacrifices. Uh, it says that they, they offered up a sacrifice offering to the Lord. And then the end of verse 16 says that they made vows to God. Now, there's a lot of discussion among theologians and scholars about whether or not these sailors truly believed in Jehovah God. Um, and, you know, they kind of just included him in, in their litany of other gods. Or whether they truly abandoned all of those other gods and clung to Jehovah God as the one true God. There is, there's conversations about whether this sacrifice that they offered is really... Um, more of a foxhole conversion, if you will, um, and they're just making promises, uh, or whether or not this was a legitimate transformation that had taken place within their lives. When we are in rebellion against God, and when we are running away from God, is God still God? Absolutely He is. When we are in rebellion against God, and we are running away from God, is God still with us? Absolutely He is. Even though Jonah was running away from God, he did declare who God was. He did declare that the Lord of heaven, that is, that is God who is above all of this, above everything. He used the covenant name of God, which means the, the God of, of everything. And he did declare that that Jehovah God created the, the sea and the land, or the heavens and the earth, if you will. So, Jonah did make a declaration, even in his rebellion. When they saw the only one who could have power over that which he created, I personally believe that they truly believed in God, in Jehovah God. They abandoned their other gods, and they were transformed by what had just taken place. Now you may be wondering, or you actually may have even forgot by now, that I started our time together by talking about missing blessings. And yet we've really not talked a single thing about a blessing. In fact, we've kind of talked about a, a really poor attempt at Jonah of trying to, to share God with people and, and really try to bring them into the family of God and bring them to repentance. Well, here's really kind of how all of that fits together. Over in the New Testament, in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 9, Paul was talking to the church at Corinth. And Paul was talking to them and sharing with them how, how he strives to, to meet people where they are uh, and how he strives to to kind of walk with them in order to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them for the bringing about of their salvation, their personal relationship with Christ, and ultimately for the glory of God. But I wanted to specifically read 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and, excuse me, verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 23. And this is what it says. Because leading into this, Paul had talked about all of these various things that he had done and will do 
as he walks with people, meeting them where they are. Verse 23 says this, And I do all of these things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. The, the ESV translation says this, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Paul is talking about that he puts others' needs before himself. He puts others' nationality before himself for the sake of the gospel. Basically, he says, I am putting you before me because I am more concerned about you repenting and you coming into a relationship with Christ than I am about my own preferences, uh, my own safety and my own personal desires because I want to share with you in the blessings of the gospel. Through the sovereignty of God, He allows us to receive a blessing by being obedient and sharing His good news with others. You see, there is a blessing in sharing the gospel that comes to the one who does the sharing. There's also a blessing that comes when we are able to share the gospel with someone and then that person comes into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, Jonah missed out on a tremendous blessing with the sailors because of his disobedience. He was too self-absorbed in his own world and honestly in his own total despise for the Gentile people of Nineveh that he could have cared less. Instead of joining in with the blessing, he would rather continue in his rebellion and disobedience. If you've ever had the incredible privilege of sharing the gospel with someone, it is an incredible joy. It's also an incredible joy by both people when they are receptive to the gospel. Even when they do not receive the good news or they come into a relationship with Christ, there is still joy in obediently following God's command and in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't miss that joy and don't miss that blessing because of your own selfishness. Don't miss that joy and that blessing because of your own disobedience. Don't miss that joy and that blessing because of your own rebellion. Don't make this about you. Instead, make this about him. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he was sharing with me how um, he was talking to a co-worker, and the co-worker was an admitted, admitted atheist. And he said, you know, he said, I'm, I've done about everything else I can think of. I've decided to pray to God regarding this specific situation. And my friend was telling me, because ears kind of perked up a little bit, um, and he asked him, he said, well, are you, are you seeking more about about God and are you are you seeking more about understanding who he is he said yeah he said I, I think I am at this point he said because I, I've seen people that believe in God uh, and and their lives are, are different he said I I want to know more about that I want to know more about what they have and then he said I'm I'm waiting for that feeling and my friend kind of shared with him it's not really about a feeling at all it, it's about a relationship with the true God you see, you never know what opportunities God is going to present in front of you. And that's why we have to walk our lives in obedience to Him and be conscious 
of his presence with us because of the opportunities that he is going to bring in front of us. Is God your sustaining nourishment? Is God the thing that that drives you, that holds you up, that literally is your daily food? I want to read Jesus' words in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, Jesus had been talking to the Samaritan woman. Um, His disciples had come up to him, had seen him, but they had come up to him and said, Jesus, you haven't eaten. Uh, You've got to be hungry. You've got to be starving. And Jesus says this to them in John chapter 4 and verse 34. It says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus was so focused on on the opportunities around him and doing the work that God had commanded him to do, that basically it was his nourishment. And that's the command for each of us, is to be obedient, to, to allow him to be that food that drives us, to be aware of the situations around us that he has placed in our path, to be ready to share the good news. You see, Christ gave His life for our sin. He he left His throne in heaven to come down and live the perfect life on earth. And after living that perfect life, He was taken to a cross where He gave His life freely as the payment for your sin and for my sin. Sin, as we've been talking about all through the life of Jonah, sin is that rebellion against God. It's doing what we want to do, not what God has commanded us to do. And Christ came to pay that penalty on the cross by giving His life. He died on the cross. He defeated death. And He displayed His power over the grave through His resurrection. If we admit that we are a sinner in need of a Savior, and we confess our sins to Him, ask Him to be Lord and Savior in our life, we can enter into a personal relationship with Him, the Lord of heaven and earth. We can have a personal relationship with Him. And from then on out, we can walk with Him in close fellowship. Now, maybe you've already accepted Christ as Savior, but you, like Jonah, are living in rebellion. Instead of going where God has commanded you to go, you are doing your own thing and going against that direction. If that is you, I encourage you, I plead with you, repent of your sins, turn away from that, and follow back into close fellowship with God. Confess those sins to God and and tell God that you're sorry for going your own way. You repent of that. And you turn and follow Him. And you want to restore that close fellowship and that close relationship with Him that He so desires. Scrolling throughout this message at the bottom of the screen has been our our website, chinagrovefbc.com slash salvation. And it shares with you there how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I urge you today, accept Him as Lord and Savior. Repent of your sins. Confess Him as Lord and Savior. There are storms that are going to come in our life. They come all the time. But as a believer in Christ, Scripture tells us that He is there with us in the midst of the storm. And He will walk with us through the storm. When times get tough, 
it is so reassuring to know that we have one there that is with us to walk with us in the storm, to comfort us, to counsel us, to carry us, quite honestly. Do you have that relationship with Jesus Christ? If you don't, don't delay anymore. If you do, but have not been walking with Him, repent of those sins. And if you are in close fellowship with Him, praise His name. Give Him thanks for always being there with you. Let's close in prayer. Most gracious God, I just thank You first and foremost for Your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank You for His sacrifice on the cross to pay for our sins. Dear God, I thank You that when the storms of life come, as believers in You, we know that You are there with us. Dear God, help us to be sensitive to those around us who need to hear of a saving relationship with you. Dear God, forgive us for our rebellion and disobedience when we don't take advantage of those opportunities. Forgive us for being disobedient. Dear God, help us to be sensitive to your presence. Help us to be sensitive to your working. Dear God, may our lives reflect our relationship with you and may our lives speak of your glory. May we take every opportunity we get to tell others about you. For our time here on earth is very, very short. Dear God, we love you and we thank you for who you are. For us in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. God bless.